We are continuing in the Hillel today with Psalm 116. Now, if you remember, the Hillel is this collection of psalms that they would sing on their ascent to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And so they're singing them all along the journey. They're singing them all week long as they prepare. And they're singing them at the Passover celebration itself, even as Jesus and his disciples would have on the night that he was ultimately betrayed and led away to his death. And yet that moment in Jerusalem, uh, that journey and that Passover celebration are looking back to when God brought his people out of Egypt. And so we sang about fear today, not having fear, that we don't have to be afraid because we serve a God of angel armies. But the time that Israel was remembering was a time where they were trapped between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh. And they saw how God delivered them. How they did not have to be afraid. And so for centuries and millennia ever since, as they sing these psalms, they are remembering a God who delivered them from what looked like certain death. And I love the way that these psalms, and really songs in general, help take truth like that and lock it from your mind into your heart. That there's just something about singing a song that carries an emotion with it and captures multiple parts of who we are as people. And that the songs themselves are structured that way to help us know, like, what is the main point of the song? So you can think about any of your favorite songs, a lot of the worship songs that we sing here at Horizon together. You know, they have a a relatively familiar rhythm, like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, right? And we know when we hear that what the chorus is. That's the main point. That's the big idea. That's what it all comes down to. And yet, when you think about Hebrew poetry... When you think about a Hebrew song, we've talked about this word chiasm. They're structured a little bit differently. That they are built kind of from the outside in. So if you take the whole poem, there's like a part A and its reflection, part B and its reflection, part C as they build in toward the center. What is the axis, the chorus, the main idea and the main promise? In fact, in Psalm 116, this is a very vague overview of the entire psalm that we're going to look at today. And don't worry, we'll go into more detail. But you can see it's actually built of three smaller chiasms making up one big chiasm. So the first chiasm has two parts that we will call upon him, call upon the name of the Lord. But at the center, it points to the interruption of death. The third chiasm is almost exactly like it in its main ideas, calling on the name of the Lord and paying our vows to him, calling on the name of the Lord and paying our vows to him. But again, this idea of death creeps into the middle. And those two mini chiasms point to the third in the center, which reminds us that the Lord has dealt bountifully with us, a statement that I believe that. And right in the middle, at the center of this psalm, are two verses that give the solution to the interruption of death. In fact, those key verses, verses 8 and 9, say that you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That is the center point of the big chiasm and the three smaller chiasms. And so today I want us to join Jesus, join his disciples in looking at three ways that these three chiasms encourage us to respond to the Lord 
because of this promise. So let's pull up a chair to that table. Pull up a chair with Jesus and his disciples as they would be sitting at what we now know as the Last Supper and singing these words. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. You see, already in the first part of this first chiasm, you feel that tension. I love the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Um, Actually, though, I'm surrounded by death. Well, how long will I really praise the Lord then? What if things don't go the way that I had hoped or the way that I had planned? Can I still sing those words? You know, I think what you can't miss here, even as this song begins, that first phrase, I love the Lord. So can I just tell you, everything else that we're looking at here, there's a lot of theology. There's a lot of deep thoughts. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of unpacking. There are a lot of chiasms. But at the core, these are not just things that stay in our head. They have to move into our heart. And so I love that it starts that way because I think that's what I want for me. And that's what I want for you. Not that you would just know about God, but that you would know and love the Lord. And that is where the psalmist starts here, even as he's facing trouble, facing sorrow, surrounded by death. He starts by saying, I love the Lord. And why? Because he's heard my voice. I love this phrase, he has inclined his ear to me. I think it's one of the places in the Old Testament that you see this clear language that God is our father. Because if you're a parent, you know, whatever you're doing, when somewhere off in the distance, one of your children calls your name, dad, mom, right? You hear that. Like if you didn't hear anything else, that catches your ear. You can incline your ear to that. And I admit, as a human parent, there are times where um, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that because I'm busy right now. And, and why should you get to yell from across the house and I have to come find you? <laughs> but there are other times you know it's, it's a child in need. It's a child who's excited about something. It's a child who wants to, to share something they're thinking about with you. And you incline your ear to them. And that's what God does perfectly for us. And we love him because he listens. And really, that's a picture of what prayer is. You know, when you share things with us that you want us to pray for, when we pray together, when you just talk to God yourself, he inclines his ear to you even in the middle of those difficult times and those difficult trials. Which is why in the rest of that first chiasm, he says, then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. So then he calls out to be delivered and he says that the Lord saves him. And did you notice this time, it's not just I call on him, but it's I called upon the name of the Lord. Now remember, they're singing the history of the Exodus, right? That it's pointing back to what God did bringing his people out of Egypt, even as it points forward to that fulfillment in Christ. And when God first spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, one of the things he told him was that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had only known him as God Almighty. 
But he said, Moses, I'm telling you my name, Yahweh, the Lord. In fact, that name, what you see as four capital letters, L-O-R-D. In the Hebrew, it's kind of like Y-H-W-H. It appears 16 times in these 19 verses because there is a personal God who stakes his reputation on his faithfulness to us. In fact, that's really what the first chiasm encourages us to do. The way that you respond to the Lord, call on the name of the Lord who can deliver you from death. See, that's the promise that is being written into this psalm. That's why when we say that we're not afraid of armies, you know, that when we look at the world around us and say, in kind of a strange sense, that whatever happens to me, I don't have to be afraid because I believe that there really is a God and he really can deliver me from death. That that is who we know personally. That is who we respond to. It's been a lot of fun over the last couple of years just getting to know my friend Mike. And um, some of you may have seen Mike around too. He was usually at the Saturday service while that was still happening. But a couple of years ago, we actually had a chance to celebrate Mike's baptism with him. And he'll tell you his, himself in the video But it was a time in his life where he felt like he had known about God, but he hadn't leaned into him. And through issues with pride that God was bringing him through, the failure of a business, he felt like God really got his attention. And when he felt like negative things were surrounding him, it was God who brought him through. And God, by name, a personal God, that brought him to the moment of being baptized. So watch this video. And we can celebrate all over again as we see what God's been doing in Mike's life. Mike, Marco, uh, I can't remember if you brought it up to me or I brought it up to you, but Mike and I have been meeting and, and uh, he said, hey, God's been speaking to me to be baptized. So can you tell us anything a little bit about that? Or? Well, I, I was, as, when I was young, I, was, I felt called to God. But unfortunately, there was a period of time for about three decades, I kind of got lost. And I found to myself that I, I was fortunate that, so to speak, he left the 99 to come after me. And I felt really, really blessed that people like through Laura and through John and other people around me and the community in the Horizon Church, they helped really kind of bring everything towards me and more into and really strengthen my belief. So today I want to really demonstrate that belief. I'm giving myself over to, to, to Jesus, to God, and to, um, to, to the Holy Spirit. So, Mike, I just want to ask you, do you believe in God the Father, the maker of everything we see here, the heavens and the earth? Absolutely. And do you believe that Jesus Christ um, died not just for people in general, but for you personally? Absolutely, I do. I think Laura has one. And then, <laughs> let me see, I don't do baptism very much. Mike, do you believe in the Holy Spirit who lives within you? I do, yes. And the Holy Spirit in, uh, enables us to, to live a uh, resurrection life through Christ, we know that, and, um, and to have it more abundantly. And so, absolutely. We, we, we believe as a community, as the body of Christ, we can all um, live that in unison together. All right. So on the basis of that um, statement to this congregation, this group of community of faith, uh, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish Mike could be here to share that story with you himself today. 
But what's going on in Mike's life now is a little bit different. You see, Mike is struggling with cancer. He was right around Christmas. He was having a hip surgery. The hip didn't heal the way it was supposed to. And when they went to find out why, totally unaware of it himself, he's dealing with stage four lung cancer that had metastasized to his hip bone. And as you hear that, I mean, as I heard that, like my heart breaks. And as I've talked to Mike about it, one of the incredible things that I heard in his story was that because of what God taught him was his, when his business fell apart, because of what God showed him when he, when he helped Mike heal from issues of pride, he has a confidence in this moment right now that God is a God who can heal him. God is a God who can deliver him from death. And that as he prays to his father, knowing that his father's ear is inclined to every prayer that Mike offers, he also knows that he can trust God's will, whatever it is. And that if it isn't the cancer, he knows that short of Jesus coming back, we all die someday. And that ultimately his hope is not in healing from a disease, but that God is a God who can resurrect him. That his deliverance from death is a promise of eternal life. And it's amazing to hear the hope in Mike's voice, even as the journey continues and he's going through treatment and, and praying, to hear the hope that he has and the hope that God is offering you, whatever you are facing today, that he is a God who is promising deliverance from death through eternal life. You see, maybe for you, things are a little bit different. You know, maybe for you, it's, it's not cancer right now. And maybe for you, your, your business hasn't failed. Maybe things are going well. But maybe as we've gone through COVID, maybe it's the isolation or the depression that feels like it's surrounding you. Maybe it's the fact that you keep trying to figure out how to be more patient with your spouse, more patient with your kids. But it just feels like the tension and, and the relationships and that those pieces that feel like they break is just surrounding you. Would you just hear today from Psalm 116 that the Lord inclines his ear to you? Would you hear from this psalm that it is not only great tips for life and for marriage and kids that God is offering us, but that he is offering us that as part of our journey to become more like Christ as we look forward to eternal life. In fact, the next few verses of this psalm, I think, capture well what Mike is experiencing and what we can too. When it says, return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Where do you need to experience his rest right now? Where do you need to take a moment to just say to your own soul, return to your rest, O oh my soul. I know this is happening. I know this is happening. I know this is happening. But the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And that the greatest truth of that is that I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. In fact, if you rewind to the time of the Exodus, I, I got to tell you, there are a million cross-references <laughs> we could make in these psalms to the book of Exodus. So, so I'm just going to encourage you, if you haven't done this already, or if you haven't done this for a while, 
go back and read like at least Exodus 1 through 15. Just, just sit down on a cozy afternoon and read through that. Because I'm telling you, if you read the Hillel, you sing these songs, you go back and read Exodus, then you come back and look at these Psalms again, then you think about how Jesus fulfills them. Like truth unlocks in ways that you couldn't imagine. It happened for me just this week looking at these verses. Because there's a moment in Exodus 14 when they're faced with the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army behind them that the people say, we're going to die. Why did you bring us out here to die? And Moses tells them, stand still. <laughs> like chill out for a minute. And reminds them, the Lord will fight for you. There is something here that only God can do that he will do to deliver you from death. And I feel like it captures this moment. Return to your rest. Relax. Be still. Be calm. Not because the sea isn't there. Not because the army isn't there. Not because whatever your Red Sea and your Pharaoh's army might be surrounding you isn't there. But because God has dealt bountifully with you. Because God is still with you. Because God is going to deliver you in a way that only he can if not even if even if not in this life, that the promise is kept in the next, but that it starts now. And so, hey, when Moses says that to the people, stand still, chill out, the Lord will fight for you, he will deliver us. Then God comes in and, and basically says, now that you understand that, it's time to move forward. And chapter 14 of Exodus ends by saying, and so the people walked, same word, across the Red Sea. They even walked before the Lord because it tells us that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that had been leading the way for this moment moved behind them so that Pharaoh's army couldn't see where they were or what they were doing and they walked before the Lord in the land of the living. See, that's the response that the second chiasm is offering for us. Walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And did you notice it, it used the phrase, I will. Oh, there's something really cool going on there because when it says, I will, it is both a future promise, but we don't have to wait for the future. I, obviously, I don't have to wait for death and resurrection to say I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. If you are watching this right now, you are in the land of the living right now. Whatever else is happening which means it's not only a future promise that even when I face death, I will again walk before the Lord in the land of the living because of his resurrection. But it's also a choice we make right now. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That I am making that choice to spend my life with God that way. In fact, when we talk about loving the Lord, do you tell him that? To just tell him, Lord, I love you. In the New Testament, he describes that the best way we show it is obedience. That I choose to walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And so for Israel and for us, it's a choice for right now, but also a promise for the future because we know God has dealt bountifully with us. And that's why the next two verses start with that phrase, I believed. I believed. It's from that root. Amen. Again. The same thing that Abraham did when God told him of his faithfulness. Abraham believed God. The same thing we saw the Ninevites do in Jonah chapter 3. They believed God. The psalmist is saying, I believe that. What you just heard, that I can rest, that he's dealt bountifully with me, that I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He says, I believed. 
Therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now again, this is a a little bit tricky to unpack, but it's almost as if he's saying, having said this, I still believed. Right, that you, you could almost say, I believed even though I spoke, even though I'm greatly afflicted, even though I said in my haste, all men are liars. And again, this has incredible parallels to not only Israel, but to Jesus. You see, for Israel, they were greatly afflicted in the land of Egypt. They had to leave Egypt in haste. They didn't even have time to bake the bread by the time that Pharaoh kicked them out. And they had seen how often Pharaoh said he would let them go and changed his mind and lied to them time and time again. They feel the struggle. They feel the lies. They feel surrounded by death. And they can still say, I believed. The same was true for Jesus. As he's sitting at this meal, as he's sitting with his disciples, singing this song, pointing to that central promise that I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. A choice I make for obedience right now and a promise of God to me even after I die. That Jesus is singing these words. That Jesus is and will be greatly afflicted. That Jesus knows what it means to to leave in haste from that dinner and the next few hours are a whirlwind of false trials with false accusations where all men are lying about him to get the death sentence for the Son of God. And yet, for him to sing those words, I believe. He still believed that his father dealt bountifully with him. That he would deliver Jesus' soul from death. That Jesus would again walk before the Lord in the land of the living. See, he knew what he was singing. And in fact, remember how I said that this entire psalm is like one big chiasm pointing to that central promise? Well, in my opinion... (laughs) It gets even better because in reality, the entire Hillel, Psalms 113 through 118, are actually one massive chiasm. Remember, the chiasm is not so much rhyming of words as it is rhyming of ideas. And and if you want this, I can give you more detail here, so, so just let me know. But in very broad strokes, the back half of 118 and 113 mirror each other as they build into 114 and 115, along with the first half of 118 that build into each other with 115 into 116 until the entire Hillel leads to this central moment and this central promise that God will deliver my soul from death and I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That is what Jesus sang with his friends. That, despite all the the, the details and the pieces of Egypt, despite all the things that were happening around them, the central promise of the Hillel is that God is a God who resurrects his saints. This was the promise that Jesus carried with him to Gethsemane. In fact, you can see Gethsemane from the Mount of Olives. Now the view that you're seeing here on the screen is the view from the top of the Mount of Olives where Jesus spent a lot of his time. And from there he could see in Jerusalem the place that he would die. He could see the place that he would be crucified and he would be buried 
and he would rise again. And it's named the Mount of Olives because it is covered with these beautiful olive trees that, it's, it's amazing, olive trees grow for like hundreds of years. Some of them are like a thousand years old. They're hardy and they continue to grow and bear fruit. Just the most delicious and plentiful little olives that you can imagine. And still at the foot of the Mount of Olives is a garden. That there are paths and trees that you can walk through much like Jesus would have. In fact, you can still pray there today in a place called Gethsemane. And it was called that because that word means the olive press. And it was there that Jesus felt pressed and pressured by the weight of our sin and our guilt as he moved forward to the cross. And he prayed in Gethsemane. And I want to read this to you from Matthew 26. I'm bouncing around just a little bit. But it says that Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Knowing that his father inclines his ear, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. A second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Now what is this cup that he's talking about? Well, you see, it's not any of the four cups of promise that Chad explained at the Seder dinner a couple weeks ago. It's not the four cups that are connected to the promises God made to the people in Exodus 6. It is not a cup that he shared with his disciples. In fact, this cup that Jesus prayed about in the garden is the cup of God's wrath. You see, Jeremiah and Isaiah both talk about the cup of God's wrath that is poured out on evil, that is poured out on sin, that is poured out on the disobedience when we go our own way instead of God's way. In fact, in the pathway this week, in the, in the written guide, we'll spend more time on those two passages because of how deeply they help us to understand God's righteousness, that he must deal with what is wrong and broken in the world, but also in us. But how it also helps us understand God's mercy. Because I, I, I have a choice. I can try to drink this cup myself. But you and I know we can't handle this cup and I don't really want it. And so here is Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane, singing with his friends as he goes out that he is willing to drink this cup. If the only way he says to his father is that I drink the cup of wrath, your will be done. Because he loves you. Because he was willing to face death and to drink this cup so that you and I don't have to. He did not share this cup with the disciples and through him, through forgiveness in Jesus Christ, because of his death and his resurrection, he does not share this cup with you. He drank the cup of God's wrath to the last drop. There is nothing left for you or for me when we receive God's mercy through Jesus Christ.
And if that's true, if that's what this psalm is pointing to, then the next verses in this psalm perfectly describe our reaction to that. I love what it says. When you think about that, all of the things that Jesus did for me, well, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? How do I pay him back? What do I give him? What do I say? What do I do? How do I make up for this? How do I, how do I prove that I was worth it? How do I make sure that I'm a good boy from now on so that Jesus knows it was worth taking the cup of wrath for me? But look at what it actually says. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Did you catch that? Spurgeon has a quote where he points out how strange. I will take? In verse 13, I I will take is a strange answer to the question, what shall I render? And yet, it is the wisest reply that could possibly be given. To take the cup of salvation was in itself an act of worship. And it was accompanied with other forms of adoration. Hence, the psalmist says, and call upon the name of the Lord. Remember that Jesus' name has the Lord's name built into it. His name means the Lord saves. And his best friends would tell us as they wrote the New Testament, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. But we call on the name of the Lord Yahweh, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And our response, what shall I render for all his benefits toward me? Well, the third chiasm is giving us this response to say I will to the Lord who took the cup of wrath so you and I could take the cup of salvation. You see, the cup of salvation is like the combination of all of the promises of Exodus 6. All of those cups combined, that is the one that he shares with us to say I will. I I won't just come to you for for good tips. I won't just come to you to get me out of trouble. That what God is promising you is eternal life that starts right now. It's not some voodoo magic. It's not some weird elixir. it's, It's not a vaccine. It's not any of those things that are temporal because what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal and he's promising us eternal life. If we will take up that cup of salvation. If we will say to the Lord, I believe you, that you have dealt bountifully with me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that my soul may be delivered from death, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. One of the ways that we do that is when we celebrate communion together that we take up that cup symbolically to remember the cup of wrath that he drank so that we could drink the cup of salvation. And in fact, this year on Good Friday, we're having a special online only service where we'll be celebrating communion together, reflecting on Jesus' death, how he has dealt bountifully with us, what it means for us and our forgiveness because of his goodness and his mercy. A time to sing and to meditate and to say, I love you, Lord. In fact, 
celebrating the Lord's Supper is one of two things that Jesus really has given us to say, I want you to do these things to remember what I've done for you. And one of them is the Lord's Supper, which we'll do together online on Good Friday. But the other, we've actually already seen today, is baptism. You know, baptism is actually a symbol that when we go under the water in baptism, we're symbolically buried with Christ in his death. And when we come up out of the water, it's a symbol that we are risen with Christ in his life. And so this is a matter of obedience that he gives us to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to be baptized. And I know that for a lot of us, as we go through our walk with God, we feel like, well, I don't know if, if, I, don't know if I understand well enough. I don't know if, I, if I've got all the answers yet. I, I don't know if I'm a good enough person. I'm still dealing with this, still dealing with that. And sometimes that holds us back from being baptized. So can I just encourage you, if you know that Jesus is the only way to be made right with God and to experience eternal life, if you have not only known that with your mind, but if that has sunk into your heart, you believe that, and you would call yourself a Christ follower or a Christian and have not been baptized, hey, walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I guarantee you Mike is thankful that he did that two years ago. And I know that none of us knows how much time we have, but there's no measure of maturity that has to happen first to be baptized. You know, but if you still have questions, you'll notice in the program and on the pathway today, there are details for two exploring baptism seminars that we're holding in April so that you can come find out more. You know, what is it like? Is the water cold? Is the water warm? What, what does it mean, you know, with my relationship with God? We would love to have you there. And, and honestly, I'd love to just talk to you one-on-one. You know, talk to me. Call Chad. Call John. You know, ask your group leader. Because this could be an opportunity for you to take another step forward as you walk before the Lord in the land of the living through being baptized. The next actual baptism service is in May and we would love to have you be a part of that. See, all of those promises is why in the next part of this chiasm, he can say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Not because death is so sweet, but because when it's his saints, which is a word that that really means those who are set apart, those who are called out, those who have been declared holy by the righteousness of Christ and are being made holy to be more like him. That even when we die, when your loved one who knew Christ died, there's still something precious about that to the Lord because he weeps with us, but he also sees the other side. The eternal life that we are going to spend with him. And so we can say, oh Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Jesus himself could speak those words and say, you have loosed my bonds. That the promise of being saved from death held true. And so for us then, I want us to think about these I will statements that I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Can't you just picture that as they're stepping into the city and they would say, praise the Lord. So as you think about those I will statements, You know, I was talking to my friend Nick this week and Nick was experiencing kind of this cool moment of Thanksgiving 
because Nick himself has been through cancer. Nick is a guy who has walked a journey with Jesus for many years. He's a guy who knows what it's like to mourn. He knows what it's like to celebrate. He knows what it's like to look at the sky and wonder if today's the day that Jesus might come back and what it's like to hold on to the truth that he knows that he has eternal life. And as I read these things, it just, Nick jumped out at me because part of what he told me as we've gone through this pandemic is that he has found the greatest joy, not in trying to pay God back for what he's done, but in just saying thanks, just like this psalm that I will, I will sacrifice with thanksgiving. You know, that even the part about paying my vows, you know, that one of those vows is just that I will say thank you. But whether it is our worship, our singing, when we serve here at Horizon or in the community around us or on your street, when you give to things like Horizon that are, are designed to help other people get to know this promise and take hold of who Jesus is, it's not to pay him back. It's to thank him. And so Nick said that's something he's been doing every day is to think about, hey, what if tomorrow I, I only had the things I said thank you for today? Well, then I want to be sure that I'm, I'm thankful for those things. And I want to be sure that I do that in the presence of other people. That it's not something that we can do on our own. And even though the pandemic feels like it has isolated us and deprived us of that interaction, I would encourage you, even as you're watching this at home, don't do it alone. Call somebody. Maybe somebody from Horizon, maybe a friend on your street, somebody else that maybe they're a Christ follower too that you guys can celebrate God together encourage each other together that when death feels like it surrounds you, you can say and you can pray, I will back to the Lord who resurrects saints. Because every promise is ultimately wrapped up in the truth that he has promised you resurrection, eternal life with him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. And I just want to say, Lord, even as we share this moment in the presence of one another, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I thank you for that promise. I ask you to help me make that choice. In Jesus' name, amen.